0: Today, Isaiah 46, a word that comes to my mind as I read Isaiah 46 is the word another, another. It's a beautiful word, a beautiful chapter where God is speaking to His chosen people. He's actually speaking today to the remnant of God's people, the people who are remaining in faith. Now, they are in exile in Babylon because the nation as a whole sinned against the Lord, and God put them into exile as a way of purging them. But he's speaking to the remnant, those who are faithful to Christ, or to, to God in this exile. And the word another comes to my mind because it's another denunciation of idols and idolatry. We saw that a few weeks ago in Isaiah 44, but it's another one. He's again exposing the foolishness and the futility of idols and the fact that human idols actually become a burden on people. It's another exaltation of God's sovereignty and God's triumphant grace that we were singing about just a moment ago. The Lord carries his people and will accomplish all of his purposes for them. And it's another exhortation for us to trust the Lord only. To wait upon the Lord. To obey the Lord because the Lord only saves. So be listening for that as we read. Stand with me in honor of God's word. Bell bows down, Nebo stoops. Their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are born as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age I am he, and to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear, I will carry and will save. To whom will you liken me and make me equal, and compare me that we may be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales hire a goldsmith And he makes it into a god. Then they fall down in worship. They lift it to their shoulders. They carry it. They set it in its place and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries out to it, it does not answer. Or save him from his trouble. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind. You transgressors, remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east. The man of my counsel from, the, from a far country, I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart, you who are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off, and my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel my glory. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. The main point of this chapter is that everything we turn to instead of the Lord God to trust in for some form of salvation is for us our God. It is our idol. And it will become a burden to us that we must carry. Whatever we turn to for some form of salvation, some identity, some meaning and purpose, provision in the ultimate sense, life beyond life, connection to God. When we turn to anything other than the Lord God for these things, that is our God. That will become our burden. We must carry it unless we turn to the Lord, the one living and true God who is to be trusted. Turn to me, he said in chapter 45 we saw last week. Turn to me and be saved. Our God is not carried around by people. He is not a charm in your pocket. Our God carries His people, and He accomplishes His purposes. He saves. This is the main point of Isaiah 46. Hear Him. Listen to Him. Remember. Call these things. Recall these things to mind. Return to Him. remain in Him in faith and in trust and stand firm is the message of the Lord. So here's the outline. Here's the structure of the day of this passage. Number one, verses one and two, we're going to hear again, the idols are exposed as powerless and lifeless. Number two, verses three through four, we're going to hear again, the Lord is exalted. He carries his people. Number three, verses five through 11, we're going to hear the Lord himself say, Are you going to compare me with another? No, there's only a contrast between man-made idols and the living God. And then number four, verses 12 and 13, the Lord will save. Don't worry, I'll repeat all that as we go along. First point, number one, verses one and two. This is not only an exposure. This is a ridicule of the powerless, lifeless idols and the foolishness and futility of idolatry. Now, we've heard this from the Lord. We heard it a few weeks ago, as I said, in chapter 44. We must never forget the Lord repeats it. Remember we said that idols are the creation of man, whether that is an individual person or whether it's a culture together, the creations of man. Idols can be mental. Idols can be material. But they're the things we trust for some form of salvation. And that's what idolatry is. Idolatry is turning to and trusting in these things rather than in God. It's giving our allegiance to things rather than God. Our loyalty, the place of priority to these things over God. We said this a few weeks ago. It's worth repeating. Idols are in some way an extension of ourselves we think when we set up our idols in our mind or in a physical setting we think we're setting something up outside of us but all we're doing is taking something from within us and projecting it onto something and setting it up it's some extension of ourselves and idolatry then is some form of self-worship now in babylon where these Jewish exiles were, you see in verse 1, you see their names, Bel and Nebo. They were the supreme gods, and they had statues to represent them. Now, Bel is also known, you may, you may, you may know his name as Marduk. So it's the same Babylonian god, the chief god. Nebo was the son of Bel, who, was suppo- who supposedly revealed what the gods had decreed for the upcoming year so it was sort of like a, a new year's god and at the new year's festival the statues of bel and nebo their images were brought down i want you to when we use these words and you read these words i want you to get a mental picture in your head okay they're brought down there's a, that's a key word their gods are brought down Are you hearing it? Do you see the words that Isaiah is using? Their gods are brought down from their place in the temple. Brought down by people. And they're carried and they were pulled through the streets by animals at the annual festival. Now this could be in the backdrop of Isaiah when he makes this description in verse 1. When he says, Bell bows down, Nebo stoops. Their idols are on beasts and livestock. So he could be thinking about this festival. But also, Isaiah envisions a time, because he's writing before all this happens, he envisions a time when Babylon will be conquered by Cyrus. That was last week's message. And these so-called gods, when they're they're conquered, when Babylon's conquered, these so-called gods are going to be removed, brought down, in a humiliating defeat... And carried off. So that's also what's behind these words. But the point here is this that these idols, these gods, once so revered and so trusted, not just the physical image, but the whole idea of another deity that is represented in them, once so revered and trusted, residing in the high place, not only in the temple, but in the minds of the people are now being brought down they're stooping verse one stooping low they're being carried around by beasts and livestock and look what he says they become a burden verse one they're burdens on these weary beasts heavy making these animals weak that have to pull them along So instead of, in Isaiah's mind, instead of the people lining up saying, Here come the gods, make way for the gods, they should be saying, Here come the cows. And let's help them along because they're weary carrying these loads that are unbearable. And then he says, The idols can't save them, they can't save the people, nor can the beasts save the burdensome idols. They're all going to be taken off into captivity. Once again, the word bow. Bel and Nebo were bowing. Back a chapter early, we saw last week that the Lord declared that at at his name, at the Lord, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance to God, to God. And here, Bel and Nebo are seen as bowing, not in faith, but in shame. Well, of course, Bel and Nebo are no gods at all. They they really can't bow at all. They have to be brought down by the people. Their images are material, made to reflect the imaginations of the people. They're taken down by the people. And it is those who make these idols their trust who will be forced to bow in shame as their gods are exposed as lifeless and powerless and foolish and futile, and the Lord God himself is revealed. It reminds us, does There's so many New Testament. There's so much New Testament, so much after Jesus came and died and rose again that's in Isaiah. Here's one. Philippians chapter 2. Come now. Come now, you who are in faith, hope, and love. Come and now bow before the cross of Jesus Christ and the throne of Jesus Christ and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christ took on flesh. God dwelled in a man. God doesn't dwell in an idol. God dwells in a man. The man Jesus Christ. Think on him. May God give us a fresh vision of Jesus and an understanding of Jesus Christ. Think on him. He is God-man. God dwells in this man, Jesus Christ. And he humbled himself. Think of that. Jesus Christ humbled himself. He became obedient to the Father. The Son of God submitted himself to the Father God. And he did so, Philippians says, all the way to the cross on our behalf. And then he was raised (coughs) and he is now exalted. And he bears the name which is above all names. At his name we bow and we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's the bowing of salvation. And his yoke is easy. He is no burden. The scene in these verses of idols being bowed down and stooping and brought low and carried around and carried off and becoming a burden exposes, exposes the people of Isaiah's day and it exposes us. There are things in our lives that we invest with great spiritual power. So there's power in those things. You don't say it. We don't say it, we just live like it. S- investing in these things, great spiritual power. There's power there. That'll help me. That'll connect me. That'll give me what I'm looking for. That. These things we entrust ourselves to. I'm going to give my mind over to it. I'm going to give my, my intentions over to it. My emotions to it. I'm going to be my emotions going to be driven by it up or down. I'm going to invest money into it. And to trade-off for us, these idols, we. We invest spiritual power in them, we invest ourselves in in them, and then we expect that we're going to be able to extract from whatever these things are some form of salvation that we've spoken of. And the exposure of Isaiah is that these are impotent. They're worse than powerless because they actually become burdens to us. Our idols start to suck the life out of us. Oh, I thought that was going to make me happy, and I gave my life to it. I gave everything to it, and now here I am with nothing. Worse than nothing, we often become enslaved to the very things that we thought were going to give us salvation. In effect, we are enslaved to our own false notions and fallen imaginations. Now, you can take a specific thing and put it in that big, long cycle that I just said, and that's what happens. And that is represented in these first two verses. Israel and Judah were being warned. They were being warned not to bring into their lives anything from the outside. That's what's happening. They were God's people. They were given God's word. One God, only one God, no images even of him. Worship and love the Lord your God with your whole being. That was what they were called to do. And they're being warned here as God's people. Not to bring anything. Not a a physical idol. Not a notion. Not an imagination. not, Not another way of living. Nothing from the outside is supposed to be brought into the people of God. Who are walking with God in covenant. Nor... Are they to turn outward to trust anything other than God? And we too need the warning. We need to see Bel and Nebo as representative of all others. All others. I know, we know our human hearts, don't we? Well, I don't even know who Bel and Nebo are. I guess I'm okay. No. You see, we are to see Bel and Nebo as representative of, of all others beside God. We're to understand Babylon. The way the book of of Revelation understands Babylon. The way the rest of the Bible understands Babylon. What is that? Babylon is the whole world system in which human minds conceive and hearts seek after every imaginable replacement for the one living and true God and His Son, Jesus Christ. That's Babylon. And we live in it. What are these things? Well... We turn to a lot of things. We substitute a lot of things for God. Legalistic religion. The the commonality is self, by the way. Legalistic religion. Law-keeping that is ultimately self-attainment for salvation. There is something very humbling about grace. When you come to the point where you say, I have nothing. Now you're open to God's grace. But as long as there's a little shred of you in there, it's an idol. Humanistic philosophies. That just means we set ourselves up as final judge of what is right and wrong. Here we are, same commonality, self. Hedonistic pursuits. We set pleasure as God to please ourselves, indulging ourselves. Materialism, which means matter is ultimate. Understanding life as material only, and therefore losing our very souls. Even interpersonal and social relationships can fall into this category when we live on the horizontal level only with no vertical consideration or connection to God and therefore no guidance for how we're to live in these relationships. It's happening all the time. These kinds of idolatries will not get us to God. They will not save our souls, but here's what they will do. Here's what they will do. They are good for this. They are good for this for burdening us and enslaving us. Romans chapter 6. Don't you know that the one or whatever you give yourself to in obedience to that, you are a slave? That's the message of these first two verses. Foolishness. Second part, verses 3 and 4. Things are different with God. (laughs) Oh, thank the Lord. God carries his people. The remnant, the faithful, those in faith, those who turn to him and remain with him, God carries them. Verse 3, listen, he said, strong word. Listen, O house of Jacob. Now, little, there's all these nuances, nuances all throughout this. He's got to slow down. I wish I could slow down on every one of them, but we'd be here all day. But just slow down on this one. Listen, O house of Jacob. He is still calling them his people. This is very important. God calls his people, his people. When they are his people, they are his people. He will not abandon his people. He's still calling them, O house of Jacob. Remnant, he says in verse 3. The people of faith, the people keeping faith, kept in faith and keeping faith. Now that, right there, we see that godly people suffered too. Not forsaken. But in history, we, we cannot divide it up and say, you know, the faithful won't ever suffer. That's not true. There are people in exile in Babylon, who were faithful to God, they're called the remnant, and they were carried off with the rest of them. But they were not forsaken. He says, listen to me, my remnant, from before your birth I carried you. They, in other words, they were conceived in the mind of God before they were ever born. I told you there's so many New Testament references here. Ephesians 1, we are told that we are predestined, we are chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Carried, he says in Isaiah, carried from the womb, that is your birth, to your old age and gray hair. I made you, I bore you, I bear you up, I carry you, and I save you note again another play on words key word: people bear idols but god bears his people the point god does it all it's all by grace it's just wave after wave of grace he chooses he calls he saves he carries he keeps He preserves, He completes, He presents, all the way to the end to share in His glory. It's God's grace. We see it in Romans chapter eight, those whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, those who he predestined, he called; those who he called, he justified; those who he justified, he glorified. It's all God. It's God. It's all grace. There's no carrying the burden of an idol. There's no climbing up to God through the through self or through the, through any other form of idolatry. It is all God. It is reconciled to God. By the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, dying for our sins, removing our sins, reconciling us to God so we can know God deep in the soul. It's the resurrection of Jesus for life. It's union with Christ for living. It's carried by God's grace all the way through. The triumphs of his grace. Did, that, did those words leap off the screen or the page or whatever you are looking at a moment ago? The triumphs of his grace. And what does that mean? It means Romans 8 triumphs. God wins. And the effect of this grace, its what God's calling for from His people in Isaiah. The effect of His grace, it's Romans 12. By the mercies of God, present yourselves as living sacrifices unto Him. We're saved by grace. We're carried by God so that we can present ourselves to Him. The effect is 1 Peter 5. Since He carries us, since He is not our burden, we cast our cares on Him, our burdens on Him. Psalm 55, he, ca- he carries our burdens and sustains us. Psalm 68, every single day He's bearing us up. Do you, un- you see what Isaiah is saying here? He's saying, lay down the idols that you, that you have to carry as a burden and put yourself in the hands of God who carries you and bears you up every single day. It's Jesus. Matthew 11, yoke up with me, He said. Because my burden is light. I'll walk with you. God is exalted. Third point. Now God says, again, he's done this before. And he does it again. He says, let's, let's compare now. Come on. You're going to compare me with someone? Did this in chapter 40, we saw. To whom will you like, verse 5, to whom will you like me and compare me? Answer, you can't. But he doesn't stop there. Because he gives contrast. Verses six and seven, he says, You get out your gold and your silver, you scrape it all together, you empty your purses and your pockets. It'd be like today. It'd be like, okay, folks, Grace Community Church. We've got to have our local deity. The deity that resides on the eight and a half acres on the corner of Old Hickory Boulevard and Granny White Pike. Where's ours? Okay, you ready? Get you emptied out. Get your pocketbooks. Let's go. Pockets. Let's go. Give me your pocket change because we're going to get somebody. He's going to build us one. This is exactly what he's, he's laughing. He's mocking. You're saying, Scott, you're being silly. Of course. That's the message of Isaiah. That's what they're doing. And so they get their craftsman. They hire. Look at verses six and seven. They get the craftsman. They hire him. He makes, his, he makes the idol. They set it up and then they worship it. Well, first they lift it up. They carry it around. They set it in his place. Then they worship it. And then they start talking to it. What's the future? What, what direction should we go? What should we do? What should I do with my life? Look what he says. No response. No movement. No salvation. It can't move. Verses 8 through 11. But God. I am God, he says. I declare from the beginning what will be in the end. Only the Lord can do that. That, that is, by the way, I've said it, we've said it before, I think, but if not, here we go. That's the whole nature of predictive prophecy it's part of the beauty of isaiah he is he is these things are declared before they happen and one one of the of the evidences we could say for god is that he's the in god is the only place we find something being told before it actually happens and that's what he's doing here That's what he means in verses 8 through 11 when he says i declare from the beginning what is the end And then my counsels shall stand. My purposes shall be accomplished. One of those purposes, verse 11, a strange thing. That's strange. A calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from the far country. What is that? That's Cyrus. Remember last week. Remember, God said, I'm going to raise up this pagan king of the Persians. He's going to defeat the Babylonians, and he's going to be the one that gets my people back to Jerusalem. And God said, he's like a bird of prey. I, ra- I called him. I whistled. Boom, he's there. He's doing my will. When God wants to accomplish something, he's going to accomplish it. That's exactly what he's saying here. It's so powerful. I wish I believed this. Don't you? Let's pray for each other that we will. He spoke, he purposed, he will do it. The point is that God is sovereign, he plans. He proclaims, he carries out, he accomplishes. When you read your Bible, when you read in Genesis 12 about Abraham being raised up and the nations coming, and you keep reading about David, you know, Abraham's son, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, then you read about David, and you read about David's son, and you read about the kings, and you keep reading, and all these prophecies, you're in Isaiah, and you keep reading, you keep reading, and then you come to Jesus, and all this beautiful prophecy and in Old Testament and theology and history comes together around this one person Jesus Christ. All, what you're seeing is you're seeing the very plans and proclamations of God being carried out in real time in real history, real space in Jesus Christ. It's all happening right there. And that's the point. And so he says stand firm. Just like he told Ahaz back in chapter 7. Stand firm. If you're not firm in faith, you're not going to be firm. You've got to believe this. And as the Truth, the word unfolds, the light shines. I've already said it, but we'll say it again. The light shines, and we see all the links to Jesus Christ in this. Verses 10 and 11, very key verses. Look at it. He says, my counsels shall stand, and my purposes will be accomplished. Now, that language, that is is New Testament language, and I think it's absolutely intentional on the part of people like the Apostle Paul when they're writing the New Testament to use the same language that is being used in Isaiah. So in Isaiah, did, you, did keep these words in mind, okay? Counsel, my counsel will stand. My purpose will be accomplished. And so I go over in my mind, and I'm going to read it to you. You don't have to turn. Just write this down. Ephesians 1, 3 through 12. Ephesians 1, you can read it when you go home. But I want you to listen for these words, counsel and purpose. And you'll see how what Isaiah said is happening is what Paul's writing about in Ephesians 1 about Jesus. He says this, blessed, just, I'm going to read it slow. Just listen, let it wash over you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That is Isaiah 46, people. That we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Ready? According to the purpose of his will. All the purposes of God in Isaiah, in Genesis, and everywhere else in the Old Testament are in Christ through his son Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. Lots of words, and it just means this. Not just, but it does mean this. Everything God purposed, and he said in Isaiah, in the fullness of time, 700 years later, became true in Jesus Christ. This is a plan for the fullness of time. To unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth in him, we have obtained our inheritance. The people of God get an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Wow. When the Lord declared in Isaiah that he would accomplish his purpose and his counsel, the counsel of his will, what he meant was that what these people couldn't see then, but we can see now because of the unfolding of his word, the purposes of God, the counsel of God, the will of God to save a people is accomplished through Jesus Christ and his cross. It is all in him. God could not abandon Judah, Israel in Isaiah's day, Because to do so would have meant that he left his purpose, the counsel of his will, unaccomplished, unfulfilled. God can't do that. What God said and did then in his purpose was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And in the language of purpose, and according to God's will, the Lord brings into our lives so that that becomes personal to us. Verses, uh, Romans eight twenty eight. we know that for those who love God and are called according to His purpose, all things work together for good. In Christ, you, listen, brother and sister Christian, in Christ... God makes his grand counsel and his purposes specific for you. They are personal for you. God will accomplish his purpose for you and for me. And here's what I've got to say this. I have to say this. I don't like to pick on people, but I have to say it. There is so much nonsense out there that says God is here to fulfill my purpose for me. Your purpose for you is going to run out sometime between now and your death. It's God's purpose for us that matters. And what he wants to do is conform you and me to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And he carries us all the way through to do it. God cannot abandon you. If he ever were to abandon one of his children, it would be for God to leave his purpose unfulfilled. And I cannot imagine that. The whole thing collapses if God doesn't fulfill his purpose. This is why we're here, brothers and sisters. Remember and stand firm. Okay, the last part. Verses 12 and 13, he just says, stop being stubborn and listen. Verse 13, he says, I'm coming near. I'm going to set it right. I'm going to save my people. I'm going to get glory. So, there are three verbs, and they're going to be my closing application. Just get it straight from the text, okay? First one's in verses 3 and 12. Listen. Brothers and sisters, listen. What are you listening to? Are you listening to God? Are you listening to His Word? Are you listening? You know, you know where the thus saith the Lord is? Thus saith the Lord. That's a wonderful phrase. That's, that's, that's got some power to it, doesn't it? Thus saith the Lord. You know what that is? It's in the Bible. Are you listening? If you're not a Christian, are you listening today? You may this may be the first time you ever come to a place like this. You're thinking these people are nuts, singing songs. This guy's got a Bible. He's getting all worked up about God. Yes, are you listening? Jesus died for you. Jesus will save you. He will. You repent of your sin. You call out to him. You throw yourself at his mercy, and he will accomplish his purpose for you, which is to make you like his son, and he'll start by forgiving you. It's beautiful. The next one is remember, verse 8. Are you recalling to mind what you've read and what you've heard? The things we said this morning, that God is sovereign, that he carries his people, that Christ died for your sins... Do you know how important the first five minutes of your day is? Mine started this morning. I didn't even get out of bed before I was doing it. I couldn't even get out of bed. I mean, I I did, I got out of bed very early. (laughs) But I couldn't get out of bed without rehearsing, without reviewing, without recalling. Just lay there, it was quiet, dark. I just said, okay, God, you're sovereign. I'm yours. Jesus is Lord. Are you recalling? And then he says, verse 8, stand firm. Faith in trials, in temptations, in doubts and fears against the devil, and together.